Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was so cool. I think you're so talented. Social media is only positive with Zigazoo, the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. In Zigazoo, all community members are verified kids just like yours. And all content is fully human moderated. Try out Zigazoo this spring break. Download the Zigazoo app today. Ever thought about owning a piece of history? Introducing the Newt Gingrich Contract with America coin from Legacy Precious Metals. My limited edition silver coin celebrates the historic Republican victory in 1994, marking a turning point in American politics. Give a gift with real historical weight this season. Order now at NewtGingrichSilverCoin.com. That's NewtGingrichSilverCoin.com. Ready to unlock a world of entertainment? Philips Roku TV has America's favorite TV streaming platform built in. So you can watch live TV, catch every game, discover must-see shows and hit movies, and get all the best streaming apps in one place, like iHeart, for all your favorite music, radio, and podcasts. Watch what you want, when you want. Immerse yourself in entertainment with premium 4K picture and sound for every budget, with sizes for every room. Find your perfect Philips Roku TV today, online or at your local Walmart and Sam's Club. Billie Eilish and Phineas O'Connell, they're with us today on Crew Call. I'm your host, Anthony D'Alessandro. Billie's vocals, it was automatic art. You know, I had to like choose a more challenging route than just like, da-da-da-da. You know what I'm saying? Like, it could have been like easier. And a lot of people have asked me like, how did you choose to have it be so soft and like so simple? And what else was it going to, like, that's what the song wanted. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Crew Call podcast on Deadline. On this episode of Newt's World, I thought given everything that's happening with COVID-19 and all the concerns about vaccines, it would really be fascinating to look at a time when there was an enormous breakthrough. One of the greatest breakthroughs in public health in the 20th century involved polio. Polio was a paralyzing disease, mostly affecting children. And in some ways, COVID-19 and polio present similar challenges. Like polio, COVID-19 is a highly contagious virus that can be deadly. But while COVID-19 enters the lungs through airborne particles, polio enters the body through the gastrointestinal tract, often through contaminated water. In 1921, the most famous polio victim, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, contracted polio. By the 1950s, polio had become one of the most serious communicable diseases among children in the United States. In 1946, President Harry Truman, who had served with President Roosevelt, declared polio a threat to the United States and called on Americans to do everything possible to combat it. Now listen to President Truman's comments. The fight against infantile paralysis cannot be a local war. It must be nationwide. It must be total for every city, town, and village throughout the land. For only with a united front Can we ever hope to win any war? Now, despite Truman's appeal, by 1952, nearly 60,000 people were infected with the virus. In 1952, over 3,000 children died. Hospitals set up special units with iron lung machines to keep polio victims alive. And children of all socioeconomic levels were left paralyzed. Now, it was this period that Dr. Jonas Salk and his research team at the University of Pittsburgh launched the largest human vaccine trial in history. 
injecting nearly 2 million American kids with a potential vaccine. And on April 12, 1955, they released the first successful vaccine for polio. By 1979, the United States reported its last case of the paralyzing virus. first major polio epidemic in the U.S. hit Vermont in 1894 with 132 cases. And it was fairly dormant. It was not seen as a big problem. But in 1916, there was a much bigger outbreak in New York City with over 27,000 cases and 6,000 deaths. Now remember, this is a period where we don't actually yet know what a virus is. And when people don't have much ability to cope with it, it's one of the reasons that two years later, the Spanish flu epidemic will be so terrifying because we don't have the kind of science you and I live with today. Gradually, the polio epidemic spread. I would come back again and again. And the 1952 polio epidemic was the worst outbreak in American history. There were 58,000 cases reported that year. Remember, this is a much smaller country in population in 1952. 3,145 people died. 21,269 were left with mild to disabling paralysis. And most of the victims were children, which really, I think, tugged at the heart and made people really determined to find something to do. In fact, between 1951 and 54, there was an average of 16,316 polio cases every year. And there were 1,879 deaths from polio every year. So polio was a very big deal to people. It was seen as terrifying. People weren't sure that they should allow their children, for example, to go out and swim because it clearly had some kind of waterborne relationship. Once the vaccine was introduced, it had an amazing drop. It went down to less than 1,000 cases in 1962. And after that, it was consistently below 100 cases. I think that the period that we're talking about, everybody was aware of it. I was a child growing up. We realized that polio was an enormous problem. And People would really worry about, for example, whether you go swimming in the local creek. I was living in Hummelstown, Pennsylvania. We had a, a small stream, Swatara Creek, out back. People weren't sure whether or not it was healthy to go there. They preferred to go down to Hershey Park where they had chlorinated water and where they had a sense that you, know, you were safer. I have several friends who had polio and who survived it, but who had challenges either with walking or with their legs. It was something which left them the rest of their life slightly weaker in terms of their ankles or their legs. And by the way, one of the people who ends up getting polio is Mitch McConnell, who gets a relatively mild version. His mother takes great care of him. He writes about it in his memoir, The Long Game, and said that if she had not paid attention every single day, massaged his legs, helped him get out of bed, he probably would have been bound in a wheelchair. But instead, he gradually, slowly recovered. A great explanation of some of the discipline he has and some of the toughness he has. Remember, you can end up spending your life in an iron lung. In fact, one of the things I always used to try to get people to think about in terms of the power of curing diseases rather than simply managing them is, you know, imagine how much money we have saved and how much human misery we've saved through the polio vaccine. And in fact, you don't think about iron lungs today. Growing up in the 50s and 60s, I didn't actually know anybody who was in an iron lung. Ironically, though, since I had grown up in central Pennsylvania, surrounded by the Amish, the last naturally occurring case of polio in the U.S. was in 1979 
and it was an outbreak among the Amish in several states, including in Pennsylvania. And I think that was the last straw. And finally, everybody basically took the vaccine and polio disappeared. There's been a worldwide effort to get rid of polio. The Western Hemisphere was declared free of polio in 1994. There are a handful of countries that still have some polio outbreaks, but only three polio endemic countries remain, countries that never stopped the transmission of wild polio virus. That's Afghanistan, Nigeria, and Pakistan. And there are ongoing efforts in all three of those countries to track down and eliminate the last of the virus so that the entire planet will be basically free of polio. This was an extraordinary breakthrough. And it starts in many ways with Dr. Jonas Salk. Throughout history, there are clear moments that define our nation's path, and now you can own a piece of that history. I'm thrilled to announce the Newt Gingrich Contract with America coin from Legacy Precious Metals. My limited edition, one-ounce silver coin commemorates the historic victory in 1994 when the Republican Party, under my leadership, took control of Congress. The Newt Gingrich Contract with America coin also symbolizes the transformative political platform that led to landmark achievements like the overhaul of the welfare system and the Balanced Budget Act. This holiday season, give the gift of history. The Newt Gingrich Contract with America coin is more than an investment. It's a tribute to honest government and to America. Available to order right now by calling 866-484-4043. That's 866-484-4043. Or order online at NewtGingrichSilverCoin.com. That's NewtGingrichSilverCoin.com. Ready to unlock a world of entertainment? Philips Roku TV has America's favorite TV streaming platform built in. So you can watch live TV, catch every game, discover must-see shows and hit movies, and get all the best streaming apps in one place, like iHeart, for all your favorite music, radio, and podcasts. Watch what you want, when you want. Immerse yourself in entertainment with premium 4K picture and sound for every budget, with sizes for every room. Find your perfect Philips Roku TV today, online or at your local Walmart and Sam's Club. Hey, this is John Ridley. And this is Matt Carey, documentary editor at Deadline. And welcome to Talk Talk. John, we've got a hard-hitting episode today. A lot of controversy. Well, maybe we should put the word controversy in quotes in the documentary field about the nominees for Best Documentary Feature. We're going to get into that with some amazing panelists. You get a shot, but the individuals behind every one of those images, they're complicated and they are human. This has been Doc Talk. Thank you. Great Thank conversation. You. Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was edited so well. I think you're so talented. Social media interactions are only positive when you use Zigazoo. Zigazoo is the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. Your kids can upload their content and see what their friends are up to. With Zigazoo, they can create videos, enter to win prizes, and try out the latest dances and trends. There's no commenting, no text messaging, and everything is 100% human-moderated. Plus, all community members are real, verified kids just like yours. There are no bots, trolls, or AI. Because Zigazoo is about one thing and one thing only, and that is fun. 
Try out Zigazoo this spring break and let your kids share your vacation vlogs and best edits with their friends safely. Download the Zigazoo app today. That's Z-I-G-A-Z-O-O. Dr. John Salt. He was born in 1914 in New York City. He's the oldest of three sons to Russian Jewish immigrants, Daniel and Dora Salk. And Salk talked about his childhood and how his mother's overprotectiveness shaped him. I think it's worth listening to Salk himself. I got along with my classmates, uh, but I, I, don't re- I was not as sociable a child in the sense of socializing. I could spend time by myself, uh, and uh, I still do. Uh, so the capacity to spend time alone uh, was something that I look back upon as having uh, perhaps contributed to this kind of introspection. Uh, and uh, I would say that I spent more time alone than I did in these so- uh, social settings, so to speak. And part of this was probably attributed to my mother's overprotectiveness and uh, lest I get hurt or hurt myself or be injured in some way. And so how much of this is innate, how much of this came about through that kind of nurturing, I can't say. He was the first member of his family to attend college. It's interesting because that was in America where people really worked hard, wanted their children to get ahead, and saw going to college as a major breakthrough. Now in Salk's case, he at first thought he was going to be a lawyer, but then he got interested in science. I think he was deeply shaped by the fact and had a sense of obligation by the fact that he was the first of his family to go to college and what that led to. So, again, let's listen to Salk himself talk about his life. My mother's children, father's children, were the first of their respective generations that went on to college. So there was something special in the household that was very nurturing for, uh, shall we say, advancing in the world, getting ahead. But whether it was in business or in law or in medicine, so to speak, was not of great concern. I believe that this is part of our nature and part of an ancestral heritage. That's how we got to be where we are. Salk was thinking about a career in law, but his mother said he would never succeed in the courtroom since he couldn't even win an argument against her. And I think that must have been pretty convincing to him because he decided, you know, he didn't have to argue in science, and so he switched from pre-law to pre-med. It's funny to listen to Salk himself talk about what happened to his ambitions and the dramatic impact of his mother. At some point, I recall uh, having the ambition to study law, to be elected to Congress, and to try to make just laws. Uh, but uh, I didn't pursue the study of the law uh, for a curious reason. Uh, My mother didn't think I'd make a very good lawyer, and I believe that her reasons were that I couldn't really win an argument with her, at least this is my way of expressing it. And so this change took place between leaving high school and entering college, because I think I ended college enrolled as a pre-law student. But I changed to pre-med after I went through a 
some soul-searching as to what I would do other than to study law. And uh, her preference was that I should be a teacher. Well, that didn't appeal to me. Uh, and when I decided to study medicine, I was sufficiently interested in the science. And I began to think about the scientific aspect of medicine. And my intention was to go to medical school and to become a medical scientist. I did not intend to practice medicine. Salk really was interested in studying medicine, but his original desire about this studying the law was based on the same principle. Could he help mankind, but somehow as a lawyer, could he help with the rule of law? And I think it's worth listening to Salk tell us why he initially cared about the law, because it tells you something about his deep commitment to helping people. This is all linked to my original ambition or desire, uh, which was to be of some help to humankind, so to speak, in a larger sense than just on a one-to-one -one basis, just as I intended to study law, to make just laws. So I found myself interested now in the laws of nature, as distinct from the laws that people make. Having been convinced by his mother that he couldn't out-argue her, so he wouldn't be a good lawyer, he then earned his medical degree from New York University School of Medicine in 1939. In 1942, he went to the University of Michigan on a research fellowship under the direction of Dr. Thomas Francis. The pair worked toward the development and implementation of an effective influenza vaccine for the U.S. military in the middle of World War II. Remember that if you are the military and you've been through the Spanish flu in 1918, 1919, which was devastating in the military bases and where lots and lots of young men were living in the same barracks, infecting each other. You never again wanted to have that kind of experience. So the military actually was a very major driver of biological and medical research because it saw a healthier military as a key to victory. And it recognized that if you could save people from a variety of things, whether it was dying for lack of penicillin or it was dying from the flu, that uh, every person you save strengthened your side. So as a purely practical thing, the military invested heavily in a lot of research and a lot of production of new breakthroughs in medicine. When Salk was done with his fellowship at the University of Michigan, he turned his attention to poliovirus. He wanted to create an effective and safe vaccine and he began his work at the University of Pittsburgh in Pennsylvania. Now, the University of Pittsburgh was a very major institution with very substantial resources. And in 1947, two years after the war, Salk was appointed director of the Virus Research Lab at the University of Pittsburgh School of Medicine. Now, a lot of his colleagues did not think it was possible. And they didn't think that he was going to make a breakthrough. But Salk decided to change the approach to the polio vaccine very dramatically. He wanted to use the same approach he used earlier when working on influenza. Uh, that was very different than the vaccine development that was already established and widely used. At the time, the established model of vaccine development was first to isolate a live but weakened microorganism. This weakened virus or bacteria would then be administered to patients in order to create a low-grade innocuous infection that would confer long-standing immunity. In other words, the idea was if I got you to be a little bit sick, that your own 
response would be to develop a dramatically greater resistance to the actual disease. But Salk had employed a very different approach when he worked on the influenza vaccine for the U.S. Army. He had used a non-infectious killed virus to induce protective immunity. In other words, he took literally dead virus, but the existence of the pattern of the virus seemed to trigger the immune system. Now, that's a real breakthrough from the way they have been approaching it. And here is what Salk said when he was explaining why he decided to use an inactivated virus instead of a weakened virus in the polio vaccine. It was not necessary to run the risk of infection, which would have been the case if one were to try to develop an attenuated or weakened poliovirus vaccine. And so it seemed to me the safer and more certain way to proceed, that if we could inactivate the virus, uh, that we could move on to a vaccine very quickly. Whereas if you worked only with weakened virus, you'd have to demonstrate its safety eventually. So that was the reasoning. And it was, there was a principle that was involved. You might say a scientific principle, a fundamental principle, um, choosing and preferring that which, the safety which you could control and the quantities which you could use. So that this is, in a way, a more scientific approach trying to work like nature instead of imitating nature. Now, this was a real break, because remember, all these other folks had invested psychologically and they'd invested their careers and their prestige in a particular approach, which involved having the virus still alive, but in a weakened form. Salk is coming along saying, no, no, that's wrong. What you want to do is have a dead virus, which will still trigger the immune response. And he got a lot of criticism. But here's what Salk said as he responded to that criticism on the way to developing the polio vaccine. I just plowed on. Uh, hurt is one thing. Being deterred is another thing. And so while uh, we prefer uh, to have an open path, uh, one thing you learn in life is that there's no such thing as a free lunch. <laughs> there's no way that everybody is going to agree, and particularly if you go against the mainstream. And since everyone at that time had already been, had their minds set on how they thought the problem ought to be dealt with, whether it was influenza or poliomyelitis, or now even the work on AIDS, that's a characteristic of how what I like to call the evolutionary process proceeds. The contradiction is in your assertion. You say scientists who are, are, have a bent to help mankind that's not what their objective is. If that was their objective, they might approach it somewhat differently. And so you must, you see, you project your own perception of what a scientist is like or what he should do, or what you'd expect him to do. But you soon find out that that's not necessarily the case. And that the motivation that drives us to do what we do is different in each of us. And then you begin to understand from the effect that's produced, what is the person's real motivation? Now, Salk was not doing all this in isolation. Working at uh, the University of Pittsburgh, he'd written a number of scientific and theoretical articles on polio and his ideas for vaccine. These publications captured the attention of the National Foundation for Infantile Paralysis. This is something 
I remember vividly from my childhood, President Roosevelt created the National Foundation for Infantile Paralysis and was known as the March of Dimes. And their whole appeal was, wouldn't you give a dime to help defeat polio and to save children? And so they raised a really pretty substantial amount of money out of the March of Dimes. And they provided significant support to SALT towards developing. To show you the dramatic difference in common sense risk assessment and willingness to do something to help people, compare the current bureaucratic and rigid Food and Drug Administration models and the passion about 10th level of safety with what Dr. Salk did. He found that he thought he had a vaccine that would work. And so he tested it in his own family. I mean, listen to his own son talking about him testing the first vaccine on his own family. I just hated injections. And my father came home with polio vaccine uh, and some syringes and needles that he sterilized on the kitchen stove by boiling in water, uh, lined us kids up, and then administered the vaccine. This is from Dr. Peter Salk, 76, who's a University of Pittsburgh professor of infectious diseases and microbiology and president of the Jonas Salk Legacy Foundation. He said, I was just not happy at the notion of having another shot. So here you have the kids in the family. Dad comes home and says, guess what we're going to do? According to Dr. Peter Salk, when his father came in, he said he hated the needle so much that he previously crouched and hid behind the kitchen wastebasket to avoid getting shot. Standing beside his two brothers, he braced for the injection. Two weeks later, they received a second dose, which was photographed to generate publicity for the March of Dimes, which had put millions of dollars into polio research. As the younger Dr. Salt, Peter said, the point of that was to demonstrate my father's confidence in the vaccine. But it was also from my father's side, my mother's side, let's get these kids protected. Now imagine the level of confidence that says, I have this vaccine, I'm pretty sure it's gonna work. So let me try it out on my kids. And the fact is it did work. And they went from there to steadily expanding opportunities to get more and more and more people tested. Something which would probably have taken in normal time with the modern Food and Drug Administration, many years and billions of dollars was done literally as a publicity campaign by the March of Dimes and people were so eager for a cure that they just showed up. It was a remarkable moment of citizenship and a remarkable moment of heroic achievement by Dr. Salk. I've always been a strong believer in the importance of investing wisely. That's why I've personally invested in Legacy Precious Metals. At Legacy Precious Metals, they're not leaving your financial future to chance. They're on a mission to help you secure your financial future post-retirement. In partnership with them, I'm thrilled to announce the launch of the Newt Gingrich contract with America Coin. This limited edition coin is made of one ounce of 99.99% fine silver, commemorating the historic moment when, against all odds, we balanced the budget for the last time in U.S. history. This coin isn't just an investment. It's a piece of our nation's history. And now you can own it. As the holiday season approaches, it's the perfect gift. You can purchase yours today by calling 866-484-4043. That's 866-484-4043. Or order online 
at NewtGingrichSilverCoin.com. That's NewtGingrichSilverCoin.com. Ready to unlock a world of entertainment? Philips Roku TV has America's favorite TV streaming platform built in. So you can watch live TV, catch every game, discover must-see shows and hit movies, and get all the best streaming apps in one place, like iHeart, for all your favorite music, radio, and podcasts. Watch what you want, when you want. Immerse yourself in entertainment with premium 4K picture and sound for every budget, with sizes for every room. Find your perfect Philips Roku TV today, online or at your local Walmart and Sam's Club. Hey, this is John Ridley. And this is Matt Carey, documentary editor at Deadline. And welcome to Talk Talk. John, we've got a hard-hitting episode today. A lot of controversy. Well, maybe we should put the word controversy in quotes in the documentary field about the nominees for Best Documentary Feature. We're going to get into that with some amazing panelists. You get a shot, but the individuals behind every one of those images, they're complicated and they are human. This has been Doc Talk. Thank you. Great conversation. Hey, Sarah, I loved that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was edited so well. I think you're so talented. Social media interactions are only positive when you use Zigazoo. Zigazoo is the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. Your kids can upload their content and see what their friends are up to. With Zigazoo, they can create videos, enter to win prizes, and try out the latest dances and trends. There's no commenting, no text messaging, and everything is 100% human moderated. Plus, all community members are real, verified kids just like yours. There are no bots, trolls, or AI. Because Zigazoo is about one thing and one thing only, and that is fun. Try out Zigazoo this spring break and let your kids share your vacation vlogs and best edits with their friends safely. Download the Zigazoo app today. That's Z-I-G-A-Z-O-O. In 1954, national testing began on a million children. Imagine this compared to the way we do things nowadays. They became known as the polio pioneers. People were so eager to get to a vaccine because they were so frightened that their children would end up either dying or being crippled for life, that there was a huge response. And by April of 1955, the results were very clear. The vaccine was safe and effective. In the two years before the vaccine was widely available, the average number of polio cases in the U.S. was more than 45,000. By 1962, that number had dropped to 910. Now think about that. From 45,000 a year to 900 a year. What an astonishing breakthrough in public health. Think about how many lives were saved, how many people were not in iron lungs, how many people were not spending years of their life recovering, It truly was a miraculous moment in human history in terms of the health of the average person. When the vaccine was accepted, licenses were issued, vaccination campaigns were launched, much of what you're seeing today with COVID-19. By 1957, remember that this first big test is 1954, the results are announced in 1955. And by 1957, following mass immunizations, that were promoted by the March of Dimes. The March of Dimes had financed a lot of the research. They were now financing the publicity to get people to take the vaccine. And it began dropping dramatically. It went down almost immediately from 58,000 cases to 5,600 cases. 
Interestingly, compared to a lot of the current arguments about patents and making money and all that, Jonas Salk never patented the vaccine. He never earned any money from his discovery. He wanted to distribute it as widely as possible. Here's Dr. Salk talking about why he never patented the vaccine. Who owns the patent on this vaccine? Well, the people, I, I would say, there is no patent. This is, could you patent the sun? <laughs> now, it's funny because what he was doing was, of course, being a maverick. He was off developing a protocol that most of his colleagues didn't believe in, that in fact repudiated their work. So even though it worked, and even though he saved an enormous number of lives, he was never given membership in the American Academy of Sciences, and he was never awarded the Nobel Prize because he didn't do it the right way for the establishment. And so the fact that he had saved literally thousands and thousands of lives, millions of lives by today, just didn't matter. But it didn't matter to him. He was famous, he had access to resources. In 1963, he founded the Salk Institute for Biological Studies in La Jolla, California, which I have visited. Those of you who have been in La Jolla and been in Pittsburgh understand exactly why he ended up opening the Salk Institute in La Jolla. It was a great place, and it's still today a remarkable research center. He was awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom in 1977. He spent his last years searching for a vaccine against AIDS. He just stayed active. He's the kind of guy who wanted to go and do things. He wanted to be involved. He was fascinated by science and by the natural world. He died on June 23rd, 1995, at the age of 80, having contributed immensely to a better human race. Think about it. This guy, on his own, stubborn, following his own drummer, doing what he thought was right, saved literally hundreds of thousands of people and was happy to have done so. He didn't end up being a billionaire, didn't end up having the Salk Pharmaceutical Company, just kept researching. I want to tell you that Salk is somebody a lot more people should study and he's a life a lot more people should follow. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Immortals, Dr. Jonas Salk. You can read more about the history of polio and its eradication in the United States on our show page at newtsworld.com. Newt's World is produced by Gamers 360 and iHeartMedia. Our executive producer is Debbie Myers. Our producer is Garnsey Sloan. And our researcher is Rachel Peterson. The artwork for the show was created by Steve Pendley. Special thanks to the team at Gamers 360. If you've been enjoying Newt's World, I hope you'll go to Apple Podcasts and both rate us with five stars and give us a review so others can learn what it's all about. Right now, listeners at Newt's World can sign up for my three free weekly columns at Gingrich360.com slash newsletter. I'm Newt Gingrich. This is Newt's World. about the social media platform for kids? It's called Zikazoo. It's a great place where kids like me can come together to make fun videos. Videos moderated by real people who review content before it's posted to the feed. (laughs) 
I love the dance challenges. I love that it's Kids Safe COPPA certified. Uh, I don't know what that means. It means it has built-in privacy protections for your online data. Zigazoo, the world's largest social network. For kids. <laughs> Download the Zigazoo app today. Ready to unlock a world of entertainment? Philips Roku TV has America's favorite TV streaming platform built in. So you can watch live TV, catch every game, discover must-see shows and hit movies, and get all the best streaming apps in one place, like iHeart, for all your favorite music, radio, and podcasts. Watch what you want, when you want. Immerse yourself in entertainment with premium 4K picture and sound for every budget, with sizes for every room. Find your perfect Philips Roku TV today, online or at your local Walmart and Sam's Club. Welcome to the Scene to Scene podcast. I am your host, Valerie Complex. Today, I am chatting with Ji Young Yu. Ji Young stars as co-lead in the six-part limited series, Expats. I think I learn a little bit with every character that I play. I think usually I play a character and it causes enough introspection that I learn something about myself. I honestly can't gush enough about Freaky Tales. I'm so excited to share it with more people. If you like what you hear, be sure to review, like, and subscribe to the Scene to Scene podcast. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer.